Welcome to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50mm Media. Welcome to Life Behind Bars. Today we're talking about when prisons go wrong. So specifically, we're going to get into riots. What I'd like to understand first is why, or I guess how and where, riots happen. So, Officer G, I'm going to look to you first because I know you've, you've been involved in them, but where do riots, I guess, start? Why do they start? And how do they start? And then we'll actually get into the what they look like. I wish it was that easy to answer that question. I didn't even ask a close question, Dad. Did you notice that? I used I used all the why and all the how. That's right. But it's not that easy because riots don't start for the same reason every time. Okay. And there's a whole process that may be going on underneath that initially. You can have things like sit-ins in the yards. Yeah. Where prisoners are sitting in the yards because they're disgruntled about something so within what, the regime they don't like. What, what does that look like then? Is that what well, they might be on the exercise yard and refuse to come back in when it's time for them to come back in, of course. Uh, we had, I've only ever known one here where they sat in the yards and that was more out of a bit of a joke because it was a lovely sunny afternoon and they were due to come in at about quarter to five to get their evening meal and they just thought they'd, oh, they'd hang around a bit longer. So how do you deal with that? Well, I, I was on duty and I just said, guys, it's time to come in now and they, they just walked past me and everybody else followed them because they tend to walk around in the circles. Yeah. Weird already, but and off they go and I thought, all oh, right, okay. Then I, I got on the radio and I said, we may have a bit of a problem here, but we're all right for 10 minutes, it's no problem. And then I said it again, fellas, time to come in now. And I actually walked into the centre of the yard then. Uh, there was about 60, 70 prisoners out there. And I said, 60 or 70 yeah, prisoners? Yeah, well, that's quite and a number. How, how many officers? Well, the two. Okay. Uh, and I said, guys, I said, it's time for coming in now. I said, you know, the reality is, folks, I said, most of you guys are on my landing tonight. I said, and by the time you've decided to come in, I'm then going for my tea. And I said, and when I come back, I said, it would be too late for you people to go to the gym because the gym will be starting when it starts. And they, so you won't be going to the gym. Yeah. And I said, and you may want to come out to make telephone calls and there may be a lot of time to get because phones are out of the landing zone. Yeah. I said, so it matters not to me. I said, you can sit there all day. I said, yeah, just keep paying me for as long as you sit there. Make no difference. Um, I was one of them compassionate. Ah, we're only pulling your leg, Mr. G. Seriously. Yeah. Just having a bit of fun, just pushing, 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 just to see how you react to things, that's all. Right. As they say in prison, yeah. there's nothing but time. So, but the more you panic about a situation, the more likely are they've got you on the end of a hook. Are, are, are there officers that... Are there officers but that, that was just a one-off. I can't speak for yeah. the prison. But are there officers that you would have known, like, in... in, in the years you've done the service, they would have gone into that situation almost kind of baton or stafe out, right, get inside or come on. Mm -hmm. Not in my experience, no. N not in my experience. Because you can escalate that very quickly. Yeah, situation. that would be really, really a, 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 the most dangerous thing you could ever do because uh, you, you have to, it's like all things, you walk through situations. The longer you've been in the service, the more accustomed you are, probably you've been able to manage it because you've experienced these things before and you have more knowledge about how you deal and work with prisoners. And remember, a small Shrewsbury prison member, you also know your prisoners much better as well because I see the same ones. So I know the ones that might be going, ah, I think he's up for it here. Oh, ah, they're just having it. You're surprised. You use that, it's very innate, that sort of knowledge over time. But, but that might be what it is. And remember, some yards might have long-term sit-ins and they're quite determined to say, we've got a protest going on here. Well, we didn't want that, we don't like that, we don't like the idea, we've lost our gym, whatever that might be. Uh, but then there are another times when things can spark up. Uh, I remember not in this prison particularly, but in another prison, they were serving the meals up. And I looked at the food that was being served up to prisoners. And I looked at that and I thought, I think I'll just go and stand back here out the way, because this is not going to go well. Yeah. 
and it, and it nearly went, but it didn't quite do, because prisoners were walking along, and I, I, I know I can't particularly use bad language, because everybody might be watching this, yeah. but you can imagine the language. What the is this? And a prisoner came up to me once and said, would you eat this, boss? And I went, hey, don't look too good, mate. There's nothing I can do about that. You have to go through the channels. And then they go, well, what's the point? Yeah. And that winds them up even more. What's the point of filling in the uh, what they call the complaints book? Nobody ever bothers with it. It'll just be the same old shit all the time. So you can see these things can bubble slowly for a very long time. And then it can be the straw that breaks the camel's back when you've lost the whole wing. And sometimes that can escalate straight through your prison system. Depends how prisons are built these days because you isolate prisons into their own units. So you go to a big new prison, you might find a 500 block, a 500 block with its own fencing system and its own lockup system. In other words, it doesn't, it can't spread you, through the other rest. So it can, but it's not so easy to do. Yeah. Do you think that's the same on outside? Because we, we talk about how prisons are a reflection of society. What, what Graham's alluded to there is that you know, I'm not going to bother filling in the form because what's the point? Is that the same with people with government and laws nowadays? I'm just not going to bother voting or I'm not going to bother petitioning. I'm not going to do this or do that because what's the point? What's the point? Nothing changes. Yeah. They're all the same. Yeah. You hear that all the time, don't you? They're yeah. all the same. All yeah. the same. It doesn't matter. But the, what I say, but so. the problem in prison, you're going to walk into that meal the next day and the next day and the next day. So if there isn't some relative improvement in that situation. Now, I've got to be honest and say this is a plug for Shrewsbury prison when it was a prison. Because <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're not taking prisoners anymore. No, <laughs> the food was absolutely, by any prison standards, it was some of the best in the country. Never ever remember prisoners having big complaints about the food. There'd be the well, We still get prisoners coming back to Shrewsbury and now and they, and they say, yes. that was the best prison, best yeah. prison. And I see it all the time, people wandering around with their kids and their family members and their, their parents and partners. And Best food in there. All the jails I've been in, I've heard that so many times, all the jails I've been in, best food in this one. See, because, so if you're looking at riots, you might find that it only be a small core of people that decide to, to create, to, to do that disturbance. And they're hoping to pull people with them. But they probably haven't gone round and taken a referendum of all the prisoners. We're thinking of having a riot on Sunday, do you fancy joining? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it don't work like that. So they might come round to do something as a group of people. But what happens is then you get the, the, you get the group Thing going on. Yeah. So when they start to smash things up, other prisoners may go, oh, yeah, have some of that. And they'll, just because they can. And other prisoners might go along with it because other prisoners have gone along with it because they don't want to be seen as going, I'm not doing that, I'm just going to. Group, group mentality, herd mentality. Yeah, and the herd mentality might take over. It's a bit like sometimes in a football match when you see a surge of people going to fight. There's only two people looking across the terraces at each other. By the time they've thrown a punch, there's 50 people throwing punches yeah. at the nearest thing to them. So that can escalate very, very quickly. And then it depends on, you know, where he goes to, how you manage. Manchester was one of the biggest, of course. Strange ways. Uh, strange with the one in Birmingham not that long ago. Um, that was a pretty big one as well. I went to one in Gartry in 1978. That was a high security prison at the time. So that was pretty big or in, for a small jail compared to big local prisons. Only had about 400 well, let's, prisons. Let's, let's... But still a very, very serious riot where there was a huge amount of damage done. Huge amount. So sometimes they can be dealt with in 24 hours and 48 hours, and other times it takes a lot longer to deal with them there, because you've got to get staff in. Yeah. There's a bit of an illusion when- well, let's, let's, not get, let's not get right to that now. I want to, I want to build up to it this time, into, okay. into right. Oh, I just wanted to, before we move on from it, because the bits that you commented on, like the humour that you used, I think humour is something that I've seen a lot of, and think is really important in prison officers, that ability to have banter. Yes and recognise and use that to defuse situations. Yes. 
um, and the acknowledgement of faults within the system. Absolutely. So you said well, with the food, yeah, no, it, doesn't, it doesn't look great. Yeah. If you try and defend everything, that's so not real. You're more likely to escalate things, and I think it's you're interesting right. to see those those situations being handled in a way that's yeah. by recognising and using humour and it just diffuses it because and it takes if, away the But argument. if you've also got a, a much more experience and sometimes, sometimes in the smaller prisons, not saying it doesn't happen, but in the smaller jails, you'll probably know when things don't feel right. Yeah. It might happen in big jails, sometimes operatives in big prisons, they know on their way and they go, someone don't feel right here, but the more knowledge that you've got, the more experience you've got is, the better chance you've got of nailing it before it gets out of hand. Because you might know the kind of, who will be the instigators of these things. Uh, remember, there's a huge amount of security intel going in about prisoners, literally on a daily basis. So they'll be looking through the intel to see which of these prisoners may be looking to cause those disturbances in prison. You also know what's going on for them. If, if you have yeah. a smaller prison, yeah. you know what's going on what in the prisoners' lives yeah. outside of the yeah. walls as well as inside. Because prisoners will tell you. And, you know, I've had prisoners come in the office and they complain about stuff and they moan about stuff and sometimes they do it in a reasonable manner, sometimes they don't, they shout and bawl and you know, whatever's going on. And, and then they, But it's the important thing is to listen to it. That's the thing you can get. You need to listen to what's being said, even though they might just be shouting at Language. Sorry. But the reality is, it, it's, it's about that, you know, you've just got to be able to listen and pick it up. And so when we think that officers just stand around landings, often, and just, just sort of switching off, they're not really, they might look like they're stood still, which you would be sometimes, but you're actually taking in the, not just what's been said around you, sometimes you're just taking in what you see around you. People moving around landings you, you in ways that they don't normally, when something's not quite right, they won't behave. Remember, people are very, very subtle in the way they change their behavior, yeah. but human beings are very, very good at noticing subtle changes. Subtle changes. Especially yeah. if you know the prisons. Yeah. And this is That's where I think that smaller prisons make so yeah. much sense. I mean, obviously, last episode we were talking about um, prisons around the world and Norway and some of the Scandinavian ones were some of the best um, performing prisons. They had the best kind of recidivism rates, etc. Their biggest prison only has 400 yes. capacity. Yeah, when you have a situation like that, it becomes more of a community. You know your prisons, you can manage the situation, yeah. you can help those people in a very different way. Yeah, it, it, it is a different one. When you yeah. talk about, some of the people say Norway has its biggest prison is a capacity of 400 prisoners, which is basically the size of Shrewsbury, effectively. Yeah, it's, it's not slightly not, bigger, but it's not bigger, but it's not. Whereas in the Philippines, the, the largest prison had 22,500 prisoners. It says 22,000 more people. That's a huge number. Remember Norway, I believe, but it's more lucky to get that. single cell accommodation, I believe. I don't believe in Whereas in this country, not all, much of our prison system operates on two in a cell. Even our newer yeah. prisons, so Wrexham, it's relatively new, yeah. they will still have capacity to put two prisoners in a cell. Yeah. So you can see that may cause, it can compound problems. Why? Because you may have two people that are struggling to get on in what I call a positive way, and there may be one that's influencing the other in ways that you don't want them to be influenced. It, it, it's it, just so complicated. There's so much more, the bigger the prison, I feel there's so much more scope for prison to go wrong. Of course there is, like, of course there is. Yeah, yeah, we seem to be yeah. building bigger prisons. The only small prison that I remember ever having a, a, a serious disturbance was Gloucester Prison. Way back, way back in the 19... 
There's been yeah, a few in the 90s. I will pick up on Gloucester. Which I thought because, was unusual. Yeah, I will pick up on Gloucester because I spent a fair bit of time with the officers there, as I, as I know you did. You obviously there. They and had there was, a dinner there was, they? Yeah, there's, there was a number of different things which pick up there. What I wanted to ask you guys, so when, when you wander around a prison, um, you've, you've got GAs, as they call it, so general alarms. I think in, in a lot of prisons, they're small green boxes with a metallic yeah. button, you press it. The idea is, whatever the GA looks like, there's a general alarm, you press it. It goes off in the central um, control area. They will radio other officers, and basically it says an alarm going off, there's a GA going off, there's a situation, A1 landing or wherever it might be. And then ideally, as, as Graham would say, what you get is the cavalry coming to... And, and to put that in its context, people assume that when a bell goes, everybody just runs to it, they don't. Yeah. Remember, the whole contingency plans is built in a way. So if you were on a wing or any wing or any position, excuse me, there are some staff nominated to be what they call first responders, if you want to yeah. use that term. So when I worked up in the offices doing the, the parole documents and the, and the ETS programs, I'd be one of those people expected to get up and be going to that place straight away, as would be other staff are not always managing prisoners. They're in offices doing different things. So you're not going to just everybody goes running. You're going to have... Yeah, otherwise, otherwise we're not Prisoners could obviously press a bell. Yeah, there's nothing stopping them doing it. It does happen occasionally. You get what they call false alarms. I guess the time that you've both worked in prison, I reckon this will. I'm going to say this, and I'll probably get attacked for it slightly on social media. But over the times that you've both been in prisons, how many times have you or felt you had to press the bell? And I wonder if it's more prevalent for Emma being A, female, being B, not a prison officer, and C, in a different type of prison, predominantly with lifers, majority of which were sex offenders, but you still had to go into cells to deliver whatever it was you had to deliver. Um, but it, it, so in, in your careers and your experience, how many times have you either had to or felt you might need to press the bell? So why do you kind of go with that? Because that's uh, the beginning of it going wrong, isn't it? Years, I've never pressed a bell once. And only twice have I shouted to somebody else to press a bell because they're stood next to it and I wasn't. Only twice. I think, I think we can put that down to the fact that, as you say, like you know, de-escalating a situation, the prison officer's best weapon is going to be their mouth. Clearly. He's got a good uh, he's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 If somebody goes off, he's got deep, good, good de-escalation. You're not going to go running to an alarm bell unless it's the only one that you've got and there's yeah. no one else there. Uh, you've got them on radios now. But, Remember, you can press buttons on radios. You have been in riot situations. Well, I've been to riots. Yeah. Let's, let's pick up on that in a second. I've never pressed, I never pressed an alarm. But have you ever felt that you've, you've kind of got to a stage? Because you had to go into no, cells I, with prisoners that were sex offenders and such like that. Not even in, in a cell. The, it was very rare that I would go to a cell. I went yeah. to one once to speak to... I went onto the wings, but you yeah. didn't generally approach the cells. Um, but I remember delivering in some uh, results from an assessment to a prisoner um, who needed anger management programme, and his response was to get incredibly angry. Kind of proved my point. Um, he really did. And I was just like, don't laugh, Emma, because that's really going to escalate this further. So I was just like, well, I think it's time for you to leave now. But you always did things sense me. So I was just in an interview room. Um, so it was a small, um, like, office-sized room. Yeah. You always made sure you were between the prisoner and the door, um, and the alarm bells would be that size as well. But I didn't even feel I needed to um, press the alarm even then. I just requested that the prisoner leave. He was sent back to the wing, who I immediately contacted and said, 
heads up, such and such is coming back down. He's had this news and he is not happy. So but they were there for I didn't the have to do but yeah, but I never needed to. That, that communication there is key to escalation normally start with one angry prisoner. What they do is there'll be a, there'll be something going on in the prison that's causing some kind of dissent, and it may take weeks, months, and it might never come to fruition because we do move prisoners around and move them on. So that disputes it purely by the nature that those people are going somewhere else. But it just might be small things to start with. If a prisoner starts missing the gym, and we've lost our officers, and they've lost them officers for a long time, so the gyms have been closed down for X amount of time. So it's not just one prisoner that's annoyed at not getting the gym. It's probably all of them because gyms are very valuable privileges for prisoners. I've never known a prisoner that goes to the gym that's actually said, oh, I don't care if I go today, boss. They're all, oh, we, we might be struggling with the gym today. Why? Because the PEIs have got to deal with someone else. Oh, not going to get me gym time. You don't get to come back tomorrow because that's somebody else's turn. So you can see, if you do it often, you can see frustration builds and then you'll get sympathy around. And then, they, then it works. And then you find there's a lot of people probably thinking the same way. Right at that level. Remember, there is a, such a thing as the Prisoners' Consultative Committee. And it's been around for years, uh, and, and, and prisoners actually can have a committee. They usually ask for a representative from either each house block or each wing, wherever you are in a prison, and every so often they will get together and they will have a meeting with the or a governor and, and the senior management and start have the chance to express any concerns that they've got and anything they think. So the prisoners can approach them. I go, you on the meeting tomorrow? Well, what about that? What about this and all that? And those prisoners will present those to the governor. Now, I've got to be honest, they don't have any power of action. Yeah. They're only there as a consultant to tell to the governor, say, listen, governor, these things are going on, and we think that's that matter. Now, it's a matter for the governor about how that's managed, of course, uh, because we don't, as officers, we never get involved in that consultative committee. Uh, you know, as a POA union, we never get involved in that either. We've got our own representation of the governor for our own reasons. But that's a prisoner thing. But it's basically volunteers. They can become that, and, and you get representatives and come up. So normally they wouldn't really approach us as officers as representatives. They might do, just to ask questions and go, well, tell us about that, boss. What about that and all that? And I go, well, that's that and that, and that's the reason for that. I said, but, you know, you might be better bringing that up with the governor at your meetings. Why? Because these are the power, people that have got the authority to do something about those things if he thinks that they're genuine things that need to be attended to. But it's not something we'd be involved in, unless it changed it, of course. But no. So, this, so prisoners are given a voice, but whether they find any value in that is something else altogether, of course, because they don't have any relative power within that voice. It's just a voice. Yeah. Bit like when I ask you for things, really. There's no, there's no, there's no negotiations. It's a take it or leave it scenario. Uh, well, really. I yeah. think you're, you're you're generally pretty good at getting what what it is you want. I haven't even started on you. Yet. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. God has been seven years. You went like go away for three months in the winter to get my arthritis sorted out, and you're still paying for the privilege. <laughs> what's, what's happened here? It's just kind of building a job situation. Oh, we've already had the conversation. I think I'm going to start right. Back to the subject. Um, do you know what, it, it, that feels like a really nice point actually to take a break because when we come back I would like to talk about where they start. I've got an idea in my head of where I think prison rights start and kind of where, where they escalate. We'll see whether I'm right or wrong or not. So let's take a quick break there and we'll be right back after this. You are listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50mm Media. Unlock the past and discover what life was like at Shepton Mallet Prison. Relive the history of past prisoners over the last 400 years. 
experience what a Victorian prison cell was like for those incarcerated. See where executions were carried out. Walk the landings and prison wings. You'll hear stories of those who worked and lived behind its high walls. See it, touch it, feel it on a journey of discovery at the nation's oldest prison. Visit sheptonmalletprison.com today to find out more. You're listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50 Mil Media. Welcome back to Life Behind Bars. Today we're talking about when prisons go wrong, specifically talking about prison riots. True or false? Most prison riots, most not all, begin in the prison chapel. False. Oh, see, I, I'd always understood that was true because Can't it was an area that prisoners, all prisoners could go to. It was one of the only spaces where prisoners go, yes, I want to go here. And they could congregate together from different wings at different points. And therefore, it becomes a really easy place, I guess, yes. for prisoners to go it's together. I'm not saying that it doesn't them. happen because no, it does happen. It does, but yeah. there are other places they can start from. You can have a gymnasium may have 40 or 50 prisoners in it. If it's a big gymnasium yeah. and where that may not be enough to start a full scale riot within the prison, if they end up taking over that gymnasium, a member, there's only two or three staff work there. Yeah. Now they've got a set of keys and those set of keys will get them onto the wing. And they may already be waiting for something to go on in the wing when they arrive on the wing. So they say, well, you know, I, I, I don't know, to be honest with you, but I do know in any place where you might be allowed to congregate and the chapel be one of them. But when we were at Shrewsbury, we get we used to get highly suspicious when people turned up for the chapel but never do normally. Yeah. No, I would expect to find in a place like yours. You might sign 30, 30 to 40 prisoners a push on what we call the Church of England service on a Sunday, a little bit less for the Catholic service on a Saturday, and then the Muslim service have got theirs on the Friday in a separate place, of course. So you would monitor how many people suddenly turning up at these. And one day I remember thinking, how many are down on this list? But we never used to have a list because the, 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 the chaplain, she said, prisoners should not be denied to go to the church if they ask. Yeah. So at that, asking them at that moment in time. Yeah. So there's a danger with that, that nobody puts down the list so it doesn't look like there's a lot going. So your staffing levels in there are only set at what they call the normal regime. And then you've suddenly got not 20 or 30, 40, 50, because they're all going to want to go to the church boss, and want to go to the church boss, and with the church boss, and with the church boss. So now you've got 60 or 70 or 80 prisoners going in there, and you think, well, but you haven't, built, you haven't prepared for the risk. Whereas now, we did have a system where prisoners used to put their name down to go to church. And yes, the odd one or two you'd let go, but not when they were coming and said, no, 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 no. And the chaplaincy agreed on that. So now we know that we're expecting 30 or 40. They might go the next two or three is not a big problem. But if they're all queuing up at the gates, you go, you something, something, why are they all going suddenly? Why are they all going suddenly? You want to ask that question. So it will put you on your toes a little bit and go, oh, we need to be wary of this. Then if you do a certain things in a certain way, Prisoners may notice that you're now behaving differently because they think, hang on a sec, there's a whole lot of prison officers around here on this chapel that weren't here before. So they might go, oh, we've been sprung. So they might go, we've comes back to knowing your prisoners and the prison behaviours and habits again, doesn't it? Yeah, knowing the so the, yeah, there's no real answer about where or how they start because sometimes they can start at what you, we might consider a really incidental thing, bad food or poor food. And that might be just their opinion of it, of course. 
or not enough exercise, because or you know, cramped cells, or something not working, or I, I don't know. It, it, there are prisons come out that generally there are one or two prisons around in the system that will just be that bloody-minded that they will try to start trouble purely because they can, because because they'll just go, ah, I'm going to wind this is place it, up. Is it more likely when they haven't got stuff to do? It, possibly. Well, we spoke about that previously, didn't we, about, uh, about prisoners in prisons and TVs and such like that, and where they have and carrots and sticks and, and, and you know, and, and, and um, um, I can't remember what Graham called it, but it was a, um, it effectively with TVs. It, um, They're pacifiers. Pacifiers. To a degree. Yeah. They, they are to a degree. I'm not saying that's a good thing to be sat there. Well, I, I, I imagine but, the conditions. Uh, it's not going to cause if, if the ultimate answer is, if we give prisoners TVs, they're calmer, they're easier to manage, and the prison runs smoother, or we don't, and they fight and potentially escalate, first of all, that's going to cost a lot more money and do a lot more damage, and also it's detrimental to the staff. And it's also detrimental to, ultimately, certainly what you two talk a lot about here, is rehabilitation. Nobody's going to rehabilitate, learn and educate in an environment where it's just always, exactly. Whereas in the other side of things, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to just chuck it out there. I would imagine, as we're talking about a, a lot of the Scandinavian countries with the way how, I bet they have a lot less instant, in, instances, incidents, incidents, um, instant incidents, <laughs> incidents um, than other countries. Because I bet the way that the prison is put together means that they have less problems in that sense. That's not have them, but they'll be less often. I think, I think conditions must be quite a drive. In fact, I think Strange Ways was about conditions within the uh, Well, it was. The, the, it was the, after Strange Ways is when they had the big reviews. That's when they brought toilets into cells that didn't have yeah, toilets. When the, they brought um, wash basins in there because they weren't existing before, of course. Things like the gym one doesn't surprise me when you say about that kind of, you know, yeah. a, a gym being and that being quite privileged. Because even just the psychology of exercise and the general public, people who aren't mm -hmm. exercising, can, especially if they're regular exercisers, you feel frustrated if you've missed that kind of time you know, to burn that energy yeah. and it's not like at home if you miss it this hour you can nip down a bit later on and go to the gym you can't do that in prison yeah. you get a you get a time slot you go to that time slot if it isn't available to you then you don't come back and go to another time you have to wait till your time slot drops in again might be once or twice or three times a week depending on the prison you're in of course it's not that easy you know everything because it's all about staffing levels and resources Jump, jumping back to the starting point so I, I, I can't remember what it was but I, I spent a fair bit of time with like say the officers at gloucester and i remember they told me about one of the nearly riot situations that actually mm. didn't very thankfully and they said that it had been building up for a number of weeks possibly even longer yeah. and it was varying different things one was around the food and the conditions mm. One was around, I think they'd spent a fair bit of time in the cells at one point because the staffing levels were shorter. Yeah. And there was a number of things they just weren't happy about. And it was becoming very aware to the officers that it was scaling. They, they said, the way they described it was they could just feel it the is. atmosphere. It was just something different in the air. It felt different, it smelled different, the behaviour was different. And it kind of built and built and built and built and built and built. And then one Sunday, they'd been tipped off by other prisoners yeah. that something was going to happen. And they had a list, like you say, in terms of chapel, but lots of people had gone to chapel that morning, yeah. really busy. And they said they always struggled to get prisoners into the chapel. It's yeah. a cat local jail. But what had happened was the governors had already seen this, the officers had already seen this, so they actually brought in a load of additional officers yeah. and they had them already kitted up yeah. 
full riot gear, and they basically, just outside the chapel, there were two big rooms, two big sort of like, um, kind of chaplaincy rooms, big yeah. double sort of triple cells, and they just piled all of the officers into those two rooms as the chapel started, and they were just waited in there the entire time through the chapel yeah. service, so if it did kick off, they could just go straight in and, yeah. and just respond to it. Yeah. Thankfully, it didn't, they said, but even in the chapel, they, they could sort of feel it kind of building, but it didn't, and the officers still maintain to this day that the reason it didn't was because somebody had said to the other prisoners, waiting for you. They're, they're all waiting for you, and they were just like, no, that's the point type of stuff, it's, it's, it's not worth it. And it but then they wrote sort of things, and it kind of just, that almost high pressure point, then suddenly just de-escalated everything until it got together. But you're, you're absolutely right, as I mentioned earlier about Gloucester. Gloucester had a centralised canteen, so it's very rare in jails in the UK that you have a canteen where all the prisoners sit and eat together. Oh, yeah, dining canteen, halls, yeah, yes. dining hall, effectively. Yeah. Um, it's much more of an American system, and that's a flash. It's more common today in modern prisons to have what they call dining halls rather than oh, the old Victorians. Yeah, yeah. Because the and, and it's obviously a, a flashpoint because you're, sits and people have got own. trays and you know, cutlery and stuff yeah. like that. So obviously, and yes, a lot of fights used to break out there. Although a lot of fights used to break there because at the time it was the. Um, it was the young offenders section because they had um, uh, young offenders in Gloucester in a separate wing, and that was there. Oh, they yeah. Said, yeah. That, that used to have a lot of fights because what you had was a very, very small exercise yard. Yeah. Your point, very, very small exercise yard. Um, you had, I think it was nearly 100 young lads, 18 to 21. Um, a lot of testosterone, a lot of problems. It was a Cat B local, so they said they had gangs from Gloucester, gangs from Bristol, gangs yeah. from Birmingham, gangs from Manchester, you know, small gangs from Wales and stuff like that. And they'd all just congregate and bang, bang yeah. off it would go. And they'd be over that, over there five, six times a day breaking up. And they had a, if I remember right in that place, they had a relatively small dining hall was and tiny, an even yeah. smaller association room. Yeah, at the you're absolutely end. right. Yeah. So you can and see the problem with that, I mean, particularly with young offenders who are likely to go off like a bottle of pop before yeah. adults might. So lower um, tolerance levels. No, no. <laughs> I guess I, the, the question that everyone's going to want to know: What's it like to be in that riot situation? Now I've, I've seen it. Well, depending I, where you're standing, it may be. Well, well, I've, I've seen it. So I, I was in Shepton. Um, it wasn't an open prison; it was closed. We, we, we were operating it, and actually, it was the pr the police service who don't deal with prison riots. So no. the police service came to do riot training there yeah. because the idea was if the prisons ever got overtaken and the tornado team, which we'll explain in a second, isn't able to control it, the police are going to have to come in. So what they did was they brought in one of the senior tornado team trainers and he spent an entire day yeah. training 500 police officers in terms of how to take back a prison. And I watched... I think it was about 400 police officers versus another 100 police officers. They dressed 100 police officers up as prisoners, and it was chaos. And my God, the violence. And I, and I got to see police officers holding full-on massive batons, pool cues, sticks, metal bars they'd taken off beds, full-on smashing. I mean, really full-on smashing, shields and jumping in and really going for it. And I think, actually, the 100 police officers loved it because they got to attack their mates and like play this kind of like villain effectively, play the bad side, and they, they kind of really went for it. And I watched it, I'll, I'll tell you more about sort of how it unfolded, but just run us through the tornado team, if you will, and kind of what it's like to be, I guess, behind that visor, behind that shield, in that row, 
knowing you've got a drive well, they, They've changed it over the years because there's a national group of what you might call tornadoes. I forget yeah. what they call them now. It's a national sort of riot response teams. And they will initially be always ready to go. And they are trained much more often than general they're, staff. They're prison officers. Oh, yes, yeah, they're, they're prison and, and, they're, and, and they're very often in that unit permanently. So they is what you call the first responders. So if you've got situations going on, they'll be the first to get, their, to get themselves down there. And while they're down there trying to decide what's going to happen, how they're going to manage these things, staff from other prisons come. Because there isn't enough, very often enough officers in one prison, if you've got a prison yeah, of a thousand people, you might only have least. 300 officers yeah. in total. Uh, so and they'll all, some of those will be away and on leave and sick. So you're only going to have a small pool to pull from, but then you're going to get other people. Now I remember when I was on the, what they call the old CNR stuff, the, uh, the riot training and all that, you had your own bag with your own kit, and it was kept at our front gate. And what would happen is when there was sh what they call the shout going up, you'd literally turn up if you were off duty or on duty, you'd pick your bag up, get into a minibus, and they'd drive you straight to that place. And then when they've got enough people there, then they'll start to decide how they're going to, what they call, take the prison back or recover the prison, depending on what's going on in there at the time. They are very, very reluctant to take police officers inside the walls. Oh, it, 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 and there's yeah, a good yeah. reason, not because they're not capable. The problem you've got is when we're officers, we understand each other, the people that are leading that are probably officers from the prison, so they know the layout of the ground very, very well. And they know the, 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 you know, the choke points and the dangerous points, so we're already accustomed to working in that environment. It's a little bit like you wouldn't ask somebody that was part of the, um, what you call the armed division or shooting cannons off in a war to pick up a rifle and be on the front line as an infantryman because they're trained in different ways. Yeah. And you wouldn't take them, well, it's no good putting them down there because oh, they don't understand how to work. Make no illusions. So, at least the police force, when I saw them, I spoke to them, I spent all day with them. In fact, I went into a cell and three white police officers came in to restrain me to take me out so I could see what it was like. I asked if that was part of the deal. It was a crazy thing to ask. Can we use your prison police? Yes, you can, but only if police officers will come and get me out of a cell. Okay. Um, but they made it very clear that they were doing this because there was concern at the time of the staff shortages, the yes. numbers. And actually, if you lose two prisons at the same time, yeah. the prison service can be overstretched. And we've got 100 I won't say they won't prisons. use them, but they were really going to be oh, the last they, resort. No, they were, they, I don't think they do use them still, but they, yeah. they still train them to a level in case they have two, three, four prisons go at the same time. You, you've got a problem. There's something very different about a prison to any outside situation, isn't there, in the sense of like the cells, massive doorways, the different yeah. environment yeah. that you're it, dealing it, with. It is. Uh, but that's why they will use the, the local staff as well, well as I, other staff because we know the... Now, if I was to go from here to Gloucester, yeah. remember, I because it's a Victorian prison, I've got an understanding of how a wing layout is and how the cell doors work. Whereas if you go to a very modern prison, the landings are built completely differently. They usually wider apart the doors, much wider, with full solid floors in. Yeah. And that's probably more difficult, believe it or not, to go down. Going down a narrow landing and coming from door to door to check the cell, either make sure they're either in or not, shut the door, you can go down because you've only got that gap. Yeah, it's small landing, so you got so you yeah. nullify. And then place. you've got another side, and you may have you'll have another team coming down the other side of the landing with you. So you yeah. you're taking control of that prison a door by door, yeah. unless they're jumping on that netting, which isn't that easy to do yeah. because it's not that secure if you've got too many bodies on it. Uh, plus the fact it's not really solid. So, but there may be a problem, but you've got control of that in a different way. Sometimes in your bigger prisons where you've got much bigger open spaces, they may be more difficult 
to be able to it control. Was, it was fascinating to watch because when I saw them, I saw them doing across two landings. Was, there was three landings at Shepton, but they only did it across two. What they did was the ground floor, which was a, 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 an open floor effectively. So I think they had like, I think it was two groups of four, as I recall, coming together to press forward. So eight in a line and upstairs, you could only get two next to each other. Yes. But they worked in groups of three. So what happened was the first two pressed forwards beyond the cell at the same pace as the eight below. Yes, everybody moves at the same pace. So move it, so, yeah, so, and they were pushing prisoners back. And those two at the front hold it. Yeah. And then the, the prisoner, the, the officer behind, looks in the cell clears the cell with other prisoners yeah. while they're pushing people into cells, closing the doors, so now it's locked, and they move on to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And it was like watching a military operation. Actually, if I saw the police do it, I watched them improve throughout the day, yeah. but I did see that as they were having it, I watched the, um, the lead instructor from Tornado team stop quite a few times and really scream at the officers because they were getting it so wrong. He was like, you're rushing in, you're not thinking. I remember him turning around and going, he was, he was screaming at them. Obviously, they've got big helmets on, so he has to shout so they can hear anyway. But he was saying, the biggest advantage we have, we are planned, we are calm, we're controlled, and we have a strategy. These guys, they're just doing whatever. They haven't got, no, there's no planning or strategizing going in. Not the same right way, no. And that's, that's why we're Can always going to so, And I'll give you a comparison to when I was in the Austria, or did yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. this, okay? Two occasions, I remember. Once when they were sitting on the yard and there was going to be a disturbance, uh, but they were locked into a big cage yard, but it was going to be touch and go. We didn't want to open the gates on them. So the governor said, okay, then everybody get prepared. So what we did is every staff member then went to the main armory. Uh, they doubled the towers up with firearms, doubled the towers up there. And then we all took gas masks. Some of us had been trained in using gas guns. Mm -hmm. So everybody's got to get. Then there's longer batons issued out to officers in the army. Yeah. Rather than the normal small ones, like the batons, you're getting the big, what they call, I can reach you from here ones. Yeah, and then we literally right all lined up around the yard. And the governor stood at the yard and said, open this gate. And we opened the gate and he stepped just on the edge of the gate. And he said, I don't know whether you've got a spokesman in here, if you'd like to come up and make a speech. But I'll tell you this, either you're coming out or gas is coming in. And he said, and I'm giving you exactly two or three minutes to make your mind up. And shut the gate and walked away. And then he opened the gate up in three minutes and the prisoners walked out. <laughs> they, they lined it up, they lined right back onto the wing. We lined up side by side, we got our batons and all that, with our masks on and all that, and they walked back in the wing straight back to the cells. And the other one that took place, there was a problem going on in the wing. That's you know? that, so just, just before you go, that's amazing though, isn't it? That, that kind of, that mentality of, you know, they're all ready to go and you just have one guy going, either you come out or gas is coming in. It's like... Uh, We'd rather not, thanks. So it's yeah. a deterrent, isn't it? Yeah, it well, is. plus the fact that we're looking at all these people with masks on. Oh, yeah, you're, just, ne you're never going to win. Went on yeah. the wing, and they, hadn't quite, they were going, just about to lose the wing, and they said, right, get the staff out quick. We're going to go back in. So they're running around the wing now, not locked up with no staff in there. So basically, there's two doors on the wing I worked in. There's one that they always use, and there's the emergency one at the bottom of the other wing to come out in emergencies, fires, and whatever. So what they did is they said, right, shut this down, get a pile of staff outside that door, line up, with your batons and all the bits and pieces and open that door and they opened the front door and they went in and there was a big tannoy system and they said okay you better start coming out now because and go out to the farm you can do what you can imagine the instructions everybody needs to leave here now you need to go out through the bottom of the far end of the wing leaving now because gas is coming in leave now because the gas is coming in and what they didn't actually use gas at the time they used a thing called a pepper fogger uh, i think we've got them in this country basically when you go in it literally just blasts huge amounts of smoke 
literally it's a bit like a beam light they just blast it in but they're all going through and they're walking through the prison they blast it so nobody can see what's going on uh, even the officers are restricted but they're just gonna and i've got to be honest they probably hit the first thing they bumped into yeah because they're moving through the wing up and down and their landings are always caged in you can't get onto the landings above you it doesn't work like that they have to go up the stairs but it's all caged in so you can literally go through one wing at the bottom up the stairs and come back and along but they all come up the far end Everybody that don't want to be involved in this are going to come down, and when you realise you're on your own, everybody else goes that started to go, we're off, and that's the way they did it. Same way, nobody ever ended up on a roof in my time there, well, because there's an armed tower sitting there. <laughs> yeah, you've got it so yeah, the same bullets skidding off the top as a little as as the tiles come up. Ping! <laughs> oh bloody hell! Who's going to be the first to put their head through one of them? So you don't, you don't get strange ways because as they take the tiles off and somebody puts their head no. through, no. whether we think it's right or wrong, ping, off. Well, I think, it was effective. But I think what, you're, what the difference there is, you're effectively sending off warning shots in a proximity of prisoners coming. Yeah, out. you're not, not shooting, no. shooting never prisoners done. in the head. No. There's there's a big difference yeah. between the two. No, no, there's a huge difference between yeah. the two. And I do remember one, not in the prison I was in, just up the road. I wasn't in there at the time, but other officers I know within there and they had a disturbance in that big yard I spoke about where they got nothing to do and all the you know is a big shout go down and the first thing that officers do and they shouted to everybody get down hit the floor whatever they're gonna shout staff go down and they try to get away and go down on the floor all the prisoners got any sense get down on the floor and it's a bit like America anybody left standing may be liable to be shot they're not because they used to fire bullets straight across and hit a great big wall on the other side of the yard because they were above the gatehouse yeah so they'd literally out through windows and open up and they'd shoot shots straight across the yard and hit the walls on the other side. And that was just the warning shot. So that's when everybody goes down on the floor. And you'll see it happen in America. And it is effective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you don't see them, they don't yeah. go running around. They go, well, there might be some lunatic up there shooting everybody. It's like hornet's nests and yeah. stuff. So, so, grenades so they all got down and they all stay down. And then the officers get up. They'll be told you can get up. And they'll bring other teams in and they'll start opening all the wings up and go, right, this way, back in back in that wing and they do it at the time, but they'll all be laid down until such time as they move. We uh, and we don't do it like that in this country. We, we never have, to be honest with you, but that's that's the, the system that I remember being when I was in Australia. But, but, but New that, South Wales, would you say? They that all, like the way that the like, tornado teams work is all about de-escalating, calming yeah. and separating the, that violence, isn't it? It's about yeah. just bringing things back under control. Yeah, yeah it and, is. And I think in fairness, yeah. it, there's lots of problems in prisons, there's lots of violence in prisons, lots of attacks in prisons. Mass escalation into kind of riot situations, taking over entire wings or entire sections of jails, doesn't really happen that often in the UK, which is why when it does happen, it hits big mainstream media, because it's, it is news, because it's a happen time. Whereas if we were in other countries, it'd be like, well, there's a, there's a riot. There's a, oh yeah, there was one last week, one week before. And, yeah. I'm not even sure if you could live in a world that say you could create a world where there's never a riot in a cell. Yeah. The only way you'd ever achieve that is you, know, you put prisoners in a cell and they stay there. And they stay there all day. And if whatever work they're available to do, they'll do it in their cell. Yeah. And you only let them very small, get your meal, okay? Go there, get your shower, go back in the cell. You might go, well, they're never coming out in a group big enough to ever create a riot. But again, it's, it's, but, it's a reflection of society. I mean, we're, we're all old enough, you two especially, uh, we're all old enough to remember the fact that May Day riots were always a thing. I, I grew up, when I went to school, there was always a thing, bank holiday in May, people are going to go to London to protest, we always ended up having water cannons and everything yeah. there because they knew it was, it was known as the May Day riots. Only more recently, yeah. 
that that doesn't happen in quite the same way. And it was so that was always happening outside. Therefore, it's going to happen inside. You're, just you're, you're never going to have a completely perfect system. Though, no, which no, is no, people want different things okay. or need different things or yeah, like the, different the things. The nature of any place, even in society, the nature of laws is to minimise the amount of crime and damage that happens to society as far as it's possible to do so. But you'll never eliminate it. No, we And we, it's the same in prisons. You're always trying to run regimes that limit those issues and problems. But the reality is, is somewhere at some stage at some time you're going to have one for all kinds of reasons that it's we can't really sort of you can't pinpoint a particular reason why they take place they just do Let, let's take a quick break and i've got i've got a, a, a burning question i want to ask you officer g which is is, is definitely going to be more prevalent for you than it is for he's off on his phone look he's got facebook out he's off on you know tinder's away he's gone he's done so it's, it's, it's it's a break it's like i've got tinder out so anyway um let's take a quick break there and we'll be right back after this you are listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50mm Media. Welcome to Shrewsbury Prison, Shropshire's number one tourist destination. Step behind the gates of this 200-year-old prison and discover an unknown world. Heritage tours run by ex-officers, where you can see the cells, walk the landings, see and touch the history. But there's so much more going on. Experience one of our brilliant activities or take part in our world-renowned events. From escape rooms to axe throwing, overnight sleepovers to prison break, we do it all. And there's something for all the family, with activities starting from eight years, events from 12 years, and heritage tours for all ages. Visit our restaurant and experience food behind bars. There really is so much to see, do and discover on a day out at Shrewsbury Prison. Visit us at www.shrewsburyprison.com You're listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50mm Media. Welcome back to Life Behind Bars. Today we're talking about when prisoners go wrong and specifically talking about riots, but I guess just things go wrong. Uh, apologies once again for the little giggle as I start. Graham's just been telling us about his egg sandwich on a, on a prison riot. Um, so all those kind of stories. I, I, I want to ask you about what it's like when a prisoner goes to attack you or potentially it feels like it's escalating almost in that kind of one-to-one -one scenario on a wing you're outnumbered 40 to one potentially maybe more maybe a few less what's it like when that happens that kind of feeling of because it's, it's different to being in the street in a fight escalating to being in prison yeah it, it it's really difficult because like all confrontations that may or may not go wrong you're now standing in a place aren't you and then you've got that situation, it's an old term, I know that you'll be well aware, there's a, the fight or flight situation, and it's something you can't overly, overtly control. Although prisoners, prison officers have to learn to overcome those things, because if you're standing in front of a, a really irate prisoner, you're mostly gonna root yourself to the ground and hope that you've got that experience to manage it without it going wrong. But you can't guarantee anything in life. When I'm standing there and watching a prisoner becoming angry, and it happened when I went to Featherston once, not be, and I'd been there, remember I went there part-time when shoes be closed, yeah. I didn't, I got, you know, been around for 30 odd years in the job, but the prisoner didn't know me, and I didn't know that prisoner, so they didn't care, to, the, to, me, to them I was new, 
and I was having this real confrontation with the prisoner. And I remember thinking, in the back of my mind, you're thinking very, very quickly, remember. I'm trying to listen to the prisoner and say what it is, but they're shouting, so they're difficult to understand. And then I'm starting to think about things. This prisoner really, really is very, very angry. But I don't know if this person has got the emotional ability to hold on to that while they're expressing their anger, or it will just explode. And there's not a huge amount you can do about it, really. All you can do is make sure that the distance between you and them is relatively give you a chance to move. But if you stand too far away, then you're sending out huge signals, and the person then stepping into you because you're because we're not used to communicating a distance, are we? But then too close is obviously got its own problems. It's not a human thing for us to be right on top of each other. So you're standing there thinking, this could go wrong. But it's not what I'm thinking at the time. It's something that's sort of clicking around in the back of your head. And remember, the longer you're in the job, probably the better skills that you've got, perhaps being able to manage that emotion. Uh, you know, getting involved in a slanging match with a prisoner is never going to be really constructive if he's really angry. Because he may be looking for that excuse to actually go to a physical level because you're shouting at me now and you're making me more angry. So, but it, it's really, I, I can't speak for other officers because we all deal with it with, in different ways. We truly do. So you're always half prepared for it to go wrong, but you're standing there holding it, hoping you can manage it. Uh, and, and, and I imagine experience probably does go a long way in dealing with that one. It, I, I, you know, I can't, put a, I can't put an actual thing to it because it's come at different levels to me yeah. over those years. I've had some prisoners talk, and they've been talking to me quite quietly, and basically intimating threats. And sometimes that bothers me more than some of the shouting and bawling at me, because at least when you're usually quite yeah, because you're, you're calm, you're collected and, when and, you make that. And they're you know. they're usually getting rid of that adrenaline by shouting and bawling, as we tend to do in life anyway. So that's coming to a place where they might be shouting and bawling, but it's getting it out of their system. Where somebody that's just talking and looking at you think, ooh, hey, ooh. <laughs> That sends a little spine chiggle. Controlled, isn't it? Then, yeah. so. uh, uh, you know, so it, so there's no difference. And every officer, every member of staff, whoever you are in a prison dealing with a prisoner, will all deal with it in different ways. We'll all deal with it, in, and we'll have our own fears and our own insecurity as well. This notion that we're just not frightened of anything—that's anybody that's not frightened of anything is a dangerous person. Yeah because they can put you in positions because they don't see any fear, and they go, no, no, fear is a good thing. Fear is what makes us much more switched on, much more aware about how we deal with situations. So yeah, every every single member of staff would probably manage these in different ways, and yeah. they and they can end up with different results. Yeah, it's, it's just there's no difference. Yeah, I, I remember I remember speaking to a meeting a prison officer, an old school prison officer. That I know mm. you you know who it is. Um, and when I met him, he was, uh, he'd retired in the, I think he'd retired in the early 90s. So he was, you know, kind of a couple of decades before you, effectively. So he'd seen a, a different change. Different world, yeah. He worked with another officer who, who I also knew, and I was chatting about him because he was saying things to me, oh, this is how it works. And it was things like when, and it was, it was on one of the tours, and, and, and our prison officer uh, at the time, Keith, was explaining to people what happens in like CNR, what happens in restraint, what happens, you know, when, when things kind of can go wrong. And this other officer was at the back, and he was, he was sort of saying to me, he said, ah, that's not what happened. Was, and they were talking specifically about the segregation. So he said, no, when, in my day, what would happen? You know, he'd give him a good few digs in the side, a couple of digs in the head, put him in there type of stuff, and just leave him there, basically, until they sharp. And that was it. And I was like, oh, my God. And, and, and afterwards, when I was chatting to Keith, I was saying, oh, you know, this, this guy was saying this to me. He went, he goes, the reality is, Joel, back in the 70s and 60s, 
that probably happened, and possibly even into the eighties. Said that maybe that, that, a, that did happen. He did. He, he, yeah, he, he made no qualms about it. He goes, that will have happened. Mm. He goes, the trouble is, what you've got there is an officer who only ever would have escalated a situation. He said, I worked with him. He said, when I worked with him, and I think you said the same thing, he was one of those people you never would have wanted in a situation where a prisoner was coming at you yeah. because he would have just escalated it and that would have been the reason why hands are on batons and hands are on prisoners and stuff. And Actually, you'd almost want him to disappear so you could de-escalate the situation. The, the, there's an interesting story that came up on a documentary and, it was, and they were talking about high security prisoners and they were talking to prison officers as many as others stand. And one of them managed Charlie Bronson, the person that's got me yeah. at Salvador, I think he calls it there. Uh, and it was very interesting what he said because at the time that was when um, Salvador, Charlie Bronson, was really a, quite a very disruptive prisoner. And I can't remember where he turned up. It might have been Wakefield or Manchester, High Security, wherever that officer was. He literally approached it in a different manner. And this was an officer that had been around a while, so it wasn't a case that he, you know, he knew what was going on and all that. Uh, and he opened the door, and I think his conversation, going to the words of the effect of, are we going to go through this again? What are we getting out of this? What's the point? And actually, he said, you know, occupied his mind. He gave him some drawing materials and some pencils and given to him in the cell. And we didn't touch him for a day or two. And then he started doing it. And that's where Charlie Bronson started to learn to do little bits of drawing and painting and calm his own mind by just focusing on something else that wasn't aggressive in nature. And he said, and I never really had a huge problem with him when he was with me because we come to an understanding. Yeah, you, yeah. And it's that de-escalation again. Yeah. It's so this notion that they're all waiting for, for Charlie to come out and give him our time, it just could show you somebody managed that person just with this yeah. and that. That's all. See, you can create situations by yeah. pre um, preconceived ideas, by labelling and yeah. by escalating it, whereas yeah. if people are treated like people and there's a way that they are reached in, on a personal level, yeah then, yeah, de-escalation is... Yeah. So that officer, you know, and this wasn't an officer that was new and came in with a new magic wand. This was an officer that had been through the whole system for many, many years. So he was accustomed to those ways that you spoke about. Yeah. Uh, and, and I was to a degree in the 70s. I joined the late 70s, so it it become much, much, much less common when I joined. But either way, I'm not saying that it didn't happen. Oh, it, it's, it, it, I mean, it, 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 it would be a lie for a second. Yeah. I've never it, been involved it, in it myself, but I'm not saying that it I heard happen. a story from the early 90s. But that man to deal with one of the most disruptive prisoners in this country at the time, yeah. truly one of the most disruptive prisoners in the country at the time, just like that. Yeah. I'm not saying that it didn't stop them doing it everywhere else, but at that point in time, that officer managed that prisoner in a way that probably he hadn't been managed before. Yeah. If, if he'd gone in with the expectation that this is going to be well, being quite confrontational with it, being yeah. guarded yeah. with him, then he'd have got the same response. And there'd have been staff waiting to have the confrontation. I, I hate I hate to bring it back up because it yeah, sounds like this is this is this is actually an education show rather than a, than a prison show. But it comes back down to what's happened over time is the service and the behaviour and the way in which staff manage and, and and deal with things has developed, it's grown, it's changed too much society. Because we know back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even in the early 90s, I know a story, I'm not going to talk about it today, but I know a story that a prisoner told me, this is what happened to me, I think it was 92, in Shrewsbury Prison, and another officer confirmed that incident had happened and went under the radar, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that was happening in the early 90s. But things have now changed. I'm not saying potentially it doesn't still happen, I think it's probably an awful lot less, and cameras and security and things are done in a different way. But the education system hasn't changed. 
We don't smack kids anymore. We don't hit them with a cane anymore. But the way in which we teach things and what we teach them, that hasn't changed. And it's just, it, to, to, me, it's, um, to, to, to me, it's fascinating to see certain things developing. Cause, and, and I guess what you're both saying there is around the, I guess some, some of it's around the emotional side and some of it's about control, about what you want. And it was only, I mean, I, I'm, I'm you know, a young 39, I like to think, but it was only five years ago that I realised that when I go into situations, I should be considering, probably at the forefront of it, what is it I'm trying to get out of this situation? What is it I'm trying to gain from this conversation? And therefore, I started going into things in a very different way, thinking about things in a very different way. I go, well, I need to go and speak to Graham about how much he's getting paid, and I know where I want to be in this situation, so I sort of think about that ahead of time, as opposed to just walking into it and going, right, Graham, let's have a chat. I'd always end up... Losing, but that's because it was that was you. But by the same token, like, you go into those conversations with, with, with if you're having that with a prisoner one. Not only would I think where I want to go with this one, I've got to start thinking about where they want to be. Yes. Because unless yeah, yeah. you know yeah, what, what, unless yeah, you have absolutely. half an idea absolutely. of their expectations, yeah, yeah. you're never really going to possibly meet. So that's a far better. You've articulated a far better. I've had a discussion with prisoners, yeah. and I imagine you have as well, yeah. about putting them onto what they call different programs yeah. as part of their prison sentence, with part of that program they have to run through, you know, what their needs are. And I've had a discussion with prisoners about what they think, what they think they should be doing, and what I think is more necessary for them to do. And they'll talk about, I want to do group work. And I go, but you're not good in groups. You're really not very good in groups. You can't sit in a group. We've seen it before. So therefore, one-to-one -one is more preferable for you initially. And let's take that step. And sometimes they'll be very resistant to that. No, I want to go in a group and be in a group and all that. Go, but you can't, you can't manage in a group. It's not good for you. And then it's something you have to have. The, so I need to know what their expectations are. If I can say, I know what I'm going into. I know where I want them to be. Yeah. yeah but I know where they think they should yeah. be. And you'll do lots of care, not care plans, but what they call plan, sentence planning. Sentence planning, yeah. And you'll If you offer people the choice of what they want to do, most people will take the easy path. Most people will. Yeah. I'll do that because I know I can do that and I'm comfortable doing it. You go, no, but that's the bit we want you to do. And they resist that. Why? Because that's the bit that's going to be difficult for them to do. Yeah. And that's, that's true where, of all that's, of us. That's where growth comes we're all, from. We'll all take an easy path if you're offered them. No, you've, you've articulated that far, far, far better than I, than I did. And that's, well, that's I'm exactly glad, I'm glad because I didn't understand a word of what I just said there. Sorry <laughs> about that, folks. It, it just pops up. That's the thing I love about my life now is I'm, I'm free to grow and adapt to God. Actually, do you know what? I kind of thought this and someone said this to me and now I'm kind of thinking this and it's okay to make that change. It is. It must um, be a huge learning curve for you, really. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it really is <laughs> exponential. I'm joking. You should, like you should have seen it when I first started using computers. I was like this. Oh, yeah. And now I'm like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to ask this before we get to the end. We're, we're coming towards it. I want to ask this. I, I'll, I'll ask it. I know what you're going to say, but I'll ask it. Do you think there is kind of a singular thing that you can pin why? why prisoners escalate or why these instances escalate or if there were things you were going to pin it to how would you kind of stop it what is there about what is it that's there that it forces the escalation or supports that escalation of, of prison violence and how do you stop it from happening well i would have thought much of it it may come out because they're reacting to situations around them and that may be about the regimes that we're running so sometimes if the regime is very restrictive and not because it should be or sometimes you, you just have to because they have a shortage of staff. 
and shortness of staff will make you tighten down your regimes very often in the evening because yeah. they nearly always take what they call the evening out to protect what they call the core day in a prison. Uh, prisoners, I believe, if it's still the same, are expected to be out of their cells for a minimum of 10 hours a day. And that starts from the time you unlock the door in the morning. So when if you achieve your 10 hours at night, and that's when the government will sacrifice... 7 a.m.-ish? Sorry? You, you unlock doors at 7 a.m.? Oh, but up at 7 to quarter to 8. Depends on yeah, the prison. So and then you might be locking them up again. Remember, some prisoners are meant to be out at night time as well. Depends on the prison you're in, of course. Much more restrictive now with a shortage of staff. And let's excuse COVID. Let's say that doesn't exist. They might be getting locked up at half past 5 at 6 o'clock at night. So that 10 hours of that day may be covered. But the prison service then also is say it's a minimum of 10 hours. So there used to be a regime that had prisoners out in the evening, sometimes up till 8. And in some of our prisons, like Long Martin and Highscribly, we're out till 9 o'clock at night. Um, so that will be the first thing they sacrifice. Why? If we haven't got staff, we have to protect the core day, because that's when they come out to work and do education and their courses. Evening is more about association time. And they say, well, that isn't what the essential part of it is. It's nice to do if you can do it. So they'll start to restrict it. Remember, people get used to things like we all do. So that becomes routine for them to come out and do this and go to the gym and do this and do that and do the other. And then if you start restricting that, that may be a reason why you'll get a, a dissatisfaction. I'm not here justifying whether well, we should or should not. Sure, I'm that's, just telling you the reality the word, of the world. That's the word I was looking for. Right there. All, all of... But it may not Everything be. Everything there. It may be. It may be. Come down to yeah, but does it just come back down to dissatisfaction? If you go to a restaurant no, you and can. you order a meal, yeah. and you don't think it's up to the level of what you're paying for, for example, then you'll put in a complaint. And in an ideal world, or I guess in, in your mindset, they will either remove it from your bill or reduce it to a point where you go, I feel that the service I got or the food I got matches what I'm paying. Ah, right. So now, we're talking dissatisfaction. When I, when so is, 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 is where prisoners get to a dissatisfaction of service, which they might not monetize because they're probably not thinking when the food's crap, that, well, this costs 57 pence a meal. That's why it's rubbish, because it's so cheap. But it's that dissatisfaction in the service or the quality, and that's where the problems arise. Yeah, well, there, there's two instances. Once when I was at Bigartu and the served food was being served then, uh, and, and, and about four or five prisoners started to complain about what they were looking at and the amount they were being served, right? That can escalate quite quickly. When people following down, they probably would have taken the meal and said yeah. nothing. Now they're part of a process. They go, that. Oh, he's right, he's right. What is Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it passes it and it can escalate yeah. very, very quickly. And I saw an, one incident of that going on in Featherstone when the food was being served, thinking this could go wrong very, very quickly. I've got to be honest, hands on heart, in all the times I've been on in duty, I've never ever seen that been a problem at the meal time. At but but, but, but what I'm once. saying is, is that is exactly the same because you could go to a restaurant. If you go to a restaurant, and I'm just using this as an example, and you sit down and somebody sat next to you and you order exactly the same dish, your dish comes out and it's got a hair on it or it's, you know, or it's, it, it's something like, you know, something like that. So you complain. Now that might be very specific to your dish, but I bet the person next to you who's heard that is going to have a quick check of theirs. Yeah. If you turn around and go, hold on a second, this tastes awful because the quality of the food is bad. The person next to you is also going to have exactly the same thing. The difference is your stands may be different, but if you can, they might not have complained. Yeah. But once they hear you do it, it gives them permission to do it because normally they might not have done it because their standards are either lower or they don't feel like they can or they don't want to say something because it's awkward or whatever the reasons might be. But once someone's done it, 
First person through the wall always gets the bloodiest. Once that first person's done it, it becomes far easier for everyone else then to follow in suit. But ultimately what we're getting is the reason why people, regardless of whether they're inside prisons or outside of prisons, the reason why people get annoyed and upset by those things is a dissatisfaction of whatever it is they're receiving, yeah. product, service, style, but, but, but program, as we said education. Before, group mentality can pull people into that dissatisfaction when they weren't truly there. That's the problem. But, but if we, if we, if we tackle the dissatisfaction yes. first, if we tackle that piece, that's tackling the root cause of the problem to prevent further escalation. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you can't. You can't actually put. You can't just put it, nail it down to go. That's why this goes wrong. Sometimes it can take months and months and yeah. months of these things not going well. So even prison officers will work on a landing where he knows there's actually a huge amount of, of pressure on not yeah. just them but on the prisoners because our regimes have been changed through lack of staff, through big levels of sickness, uh, lots of restrictions on things going on. Even staff know that these things will go for so long and then they can feel it change because everybody wears a bit thin. Prisoners, even prisoners, will tolerate things that, that, that are stopped, like associate, whatever, for a time. Yeah. But there'll come a time, so it can build slowly and slowly and slowly. And it doesn't take much after that, and you just do the next thing that doesn't work, and they may be in that meal queue. It may not be the meal that's the trigger for it. It may be the rest of it where you're not happy. Now I'm just not gonna put up with this anymore. And others will go, maybe pull the, you're right, yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? Uh, maybe somebody may do it because they just want to wind the prison up and just do as much damage in that prison because they couldn't get a transfer. Yeah. They couldn't get to go where they want. Well, I'll show you, you'll be getting rid of me, but I'll do it this way. And that's whether they've got the skill, the ability that, to pull other people in. That is a dissatisfaction part. though, isn't it? That's their dissatisfaction with the system or the process. I want to move, I can't, I'm I, I can't nail it down and say that's exactly why that would happen because there isn't no particular, it can happen for many reasons, just like it does on the streets. Yeah. You can walk down the streets and there's nothing going wrong and all of a sudden, bang, somebody smashes a shop window, then somebody else thinks that's a good idea, I'll do that too. Well, and before exactly you know it, begin. And then you've got <laughs> not just smash windows, then somebody says, well, I'm going to steal something. Now you've got looting going on. Then somebody says, don't take that because that's, they go, have some of that. So now you've got a violence taking place as well. So they can escalate very, very quickly and then everybody might say, what's going on here? And they go, I don't know. They're all getting involved in it. I have no idea what started it. I've none whatsoever. And they're just there, uh, you know? When you think about it, when you think of people walking down the street, suddenly they're all caught up in a fight that they go, what are you picking on me for? I'm just walking down the street. So they get angry, so they start fighting and then somebody else does yeah. And then somebody's kid gets hurt. And these things can just have a life of their own when you think a complete loss of control on the streets because everybody gets caught up with it right there um, and nobody was going to start it on their own somebody did somebody must have made the first move yeah each, each instance is going to be different isn't it dissatisfaction might be a underlying feeling that's been going wrong for a long, long time. time it might be someone's specific incident like if it's a one you know if it's an individual prisoner that's kicking off but not a riot that could be a disaster dissatisfaction about something, or it could be something emotional going on in their lives, or it could be that there's been an no. underlying dissatisfaction about general things, and then a specific event in an individual's life has pushed them over the edge, and then you end up yeah. with that escalation of you different just, violence, know, and no yeah. one really You never know in society, and you never truly know on the street. You'll find media will try to find a reason why that's going on, and they're trying to find a story to write and tell you about the causes, <laughs> but you don't really, really know where it started, and who made the first, who threw the first punishment. The story usually fits their yeah. agenda. Yeah. <laughs> the person, smashed, the person yeah. that smashed the first window 
influenced all the telly, they're sitting at home watching this place take place on television. They got nothing to do with it, but they were the person that started it yeah. by doing that first action. And everybody else carried on and they went, oh, I'm, I'm, no, 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 I'm not on me. I think we've reached the end of that one, yeah. and I will be fascinated to pick this back up, probably in season two, because I'm convinced that there will be a incident or a time or something will happen in a jail um, or around it or outside, something along those lines that will allow us to pick this conversation back up with actual real specifics of where it began and how it started and how it escalated and looking at that. So um, that has been uh, episode, well, we're on episode six. That has been episode six um, of Life Behind Bars. Thank you very much for listening. If you've got any questions that you'd like to ask, please do send us any messages and questions such like that. Um, do subscribe, do share it. If there's any subjects you'd like us to speak about, do let us know. We'll see if we can roll those into the shows. Next week in episode seven, we're going to be talking about manslaughter. Uh, we'll be talking about murder with diminished responsibility. And we'll be talking about Ruth Ellis, who was the last uh, female to be executed in Great Britain, who potentially should have gone down that road of, of manslaughter, murder, murder with diminished, diminished responsibility, as opposed to being executed. So we'll pick that up next week in episode seven. Good. I'm not even going to say goodbye today. <laughs> no, that's it. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next time on episode seven. See you next week, guys. You've been listening to Life Behind Bars, produced and created by 50 Mill Media.